This is the Shit You Need to Know podcast. I'm your host, Martha Riley. I'm a TEDx speaker, cheese pizza lover, and master human connector. I help introverts, people with social anxiety, and awkward humans of the world find confidence, connection, and their cool factor. Because have you ever been to a party and someone asked you a question that you didn't know the answer to? Yeah, me too. It fucking sucks. But that's where I come in. I'm asking the questions so you'll have the answers. So sit back, relax, because there's shit we need to know. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Shit You Need to Know podcast. I'm recording this in my room and it's Sunday and this is kind of like my podcast day. I just try to get it done before Game of Thrones, but it's been so nice this week in Minneapolis that it's making my bedroom sweltering hot and I've been sweating for the last two hours editing all this stuff, so I hope you appreciate it. I'm committed to my craft. That's all I have to say. (laughs) Let's start off with a question. My question for you this week is, what are your opinions on non-monogamy? And let that sit in for a little bit, because I know non-monogamy is a really controversial topic for many people. But if you don't know what that is, it's basically like a blanket term for open relationships. So someone who is seeing more than one person, but there are tons of different definitions. Um, so if you are curious, I do recommend to read a little more about it. But what's your opinions? I have not practiced non-monogamy before, but I've been listening to a bunch of podcasts that talk about it. Um, not, I'm not seeking them out or anything. It's just sort of in the lineup of the podcasts I already do listen to. And one guy has a successful relationship. His main partner has another partner, and then he himself has two other partners. So I'm just sort of curious, like, have you found that to work for you? What made you start this um, non-monogamous relationship? And I honestly think this will be a podcast episode in the future, but I just want to put some feelers out there. If you or anyone you know practices non-monogamy successfully and would like to share, feel free to drop into my DM, send me an email, or you can always call the voicemail line and send a text, um, and I will be sure to listen to it, and maybe you'll be on the show one day. But I'm bringing this up, and I know we just talked about online dating last week. I am starting a new offering that I'm so pumped about, and I'm calling it the Deep Dish Dating Call. If you don't know, I fucking love pizza. And basically, I've decided that my brand is just going to be pizza and millennials. What more can you want? But this deep dish dating call will be awesome because it is a strategy call for us, me and whoever is listening uh, to work on dating strategy together. So basically, like, do you not know what to put on your Bumble profile, or you're not getting any matches on OkCupid, or you send a first line, but you come off as a weirdo and no one responds to it. I'm going to invest one hour of my time with you to tackle any and all dating questions you have. So I'll share my favorite resources, my favorite pickup line strategy that have worked for me. And I know you probably just listened to this that last episode and I talk about the cigar guy. I don't do that anymore. That was... I have been on so many dates since, and what you actually don't know, and I don't know if I've told many people, 
I used to have a first date blog where I used to keep track of all the shitty dates I went on. So I have all of that fucking knowledge stored up for you to take advantage of. So if you're interested in the deep dish dating call, again, it is a one hour dating consultation with me, um, someone who has been on apps on and off for four years. Don't worry now, I have a boyfriend, so I'm, I'm not, I'm practicing what I preach and it definitely has worked, I promise. But if you're interested in that, uh, either send me an email at chitoknow at gmail.com, find me on Instagram at realmarthariley, and we will get you all scheduled up. I hope you take advantage of this because I know it's gonna be awesome. I can't wait to help people find what they want. And a journey of a thousand dates starts with that first swipe, homies. You can do it. I did it. You can do it. On this week's episode, we have April Seifert. She is a psychologist, entrepreneur, and self-proclaimed life experience junkie. How I found her is she actually came in and did a talk to this women's entrepreneurship group I'm a part of, and she has another podcast. It's called Women Inspired. I will link all of this in the show notes, but I'm like, shit, this is so relevant. She talks about designing your life. So design thinking and how you can apply it to your life. And and what design thinking is, is really, okay, how can we solve a problem by designing certain parts of it? Like, how do you think, I, I guess a phone was designed? The problem is, is that people, you know, don't want to be tied to their landlines, they're out and about, they need to be reached. That's how the phone came about, really. And and, it, and you can apply the same principles that Apple and Steve Jobs applied way back when to your life. So we talk a lot about uh, your job and if you like your job and stuff. And if you don't like your job, you can apply design thinking to really find out what you do like, find out what you're good at, and take those next steps to, you know, get the life that you want. And not only that, but the life you deserve. So... We talk a lot about that. We also talk about radical responsibility. Basically, that concept is you are 100% responsible for 100% of the situations that you're in. And she goes in a little more to talk about this in the episode. And really, we focus on millennials using this. So where is the friction in your life? And where are you feeling stuck? And how can we get you out of that? So I hope you enjoy this episode. I enjoy talking to April and she is a wonderful woman. So sit back and enjoy. Tell me about yourself and what you do. Oh gosh, that is a harder question uh, day by day, which is so awesome. So I'll give you the Cliff Notes version and we can dive in wherever it seems interesting. So I have a little bit of a bipolar job situation right now. I'm an entrepreneur through and through. I don't have a normal nine to five job. But the majority of my revenue comes from a company called Sprocket. I'm one of the three co-founders of the company, and we are a revenue strategy firm. So we help mostly enthusiast brands. Think uh, professional sports teams, funky apparel brands, people in other sporting, think endurance event uh, type brands. We help them grow their revenue. Uh, the part of the company that I lead is the data science part of it. So I do a lot of coding, a lot of statistics and that type of thing. So that's like where the majority of my money comes from these days. I do spend a significant proportion of my time though, working on my own podcast. It's called Women Inspired. It's everywhere on all the places and I work in a field that I call life design. So I take the fields of psychology, which is what I actually am on paper, is a social cognitive psychologist. I take that field 
and smash it together with design thinking. And I help people figure out what in the heck they want to do with their lives. So that's kind of the side where I spend a chunk of time. It doesn't make a ton of money yet, but it is a passion project and how I spend my day. And what got you into entrepreneurship? I think that's my next question because were you like a serial entrepreneur? You started right out of college or is this like a new sort of life transition for you? If you would have told me, oh, how many years ago? Maybe say seven years ago that, so I'll just, since I know age is relevant on this, I'm 39 right now. Uh, If you would have told me seven years ago that I was going to be an entrepreneur, so well into my career, I would have laughed in your face. I would have laughed my butt off. Uh, What happened is I was working for a very large corporation at the time, and I was approached by a startup company to come and lead data analytics for the startup company. I wouldn't have at the time considered myself a risk taker, but something about that offer just was interesting to me. And I had built the team that I was working on and the, and the, I guess, subject matter expertise that I was working on at that company, I had built it to the point where like it was a well-oiled machine. It was running. So there wasn't a whole lot of challenge there from the perspective of building something new. So this startup company was really interesting because it like didn't exist. I mean, I think I was employee number seven or something like that. So I jumped ship and I went to a startup company and there I feel like I got a doctorate in all things internet, all things behind the scenes of how websites work and lead generation works and all of that. Ultimately, I was laid off from that uh, startup company because, you know, that's just kind of the volatility of the startup world and what continue to keep going. But I found myself very pregnant right before the holidays without a job. I'm like, hang on. I just learned this crazy stuff at this startup company. I've proven that I can learn something out of nowhere that I had no idea how to do before. I don't think I want to get a job again. I'm just going to try not getting a job and working on my own. And so uh, maybe, oh gosh, probably four years ago or so, five years ago, I stepped out and went on my own and the rest is history. I've just been out on my own since then. It's been awesome. Did you know 39 is actually the end of the millennial age range? So you're technically still a millennial. There's a number of different places that you know set what the age criteria are. Mm. And if you look look at the Center for Generational Kinetics, I'm like at the top end of millennial. And the reason I also really identify with that generation, I got out of graduate school and started working five years after most of my colleagues did. So I entered the workforce with a lot of the millennial generation um, who was just getting out of college. So I entered the workforce at the same time that things got really volatile and companies started laying people off every three years in this like crazy situation that's now the norm when that started happening. So I kind of entered at the same time as the middle of the generation did. And can you tell me what design thinking is? And I I know like generally what it is, but more specifically and how you use it in your business. There is an amazing group out of Stanford who wrote a book called Designing Your Life. Uh, They are, I would say, some of the OGs of life design. Um, Where they stop short, though, is uh, they don't include some of the elements of psychology that I include. So when I talk about design thinking, I'm talking a little bit about 
sort of a, a hybrid of design thinking and psychology. But at its most basic, design thinking is a set of techniques that help people create new, it, it began in the services industry. So help people create new services and new products that don't exist today. And it all begins by getting to know the people that you're designing for. And then there's a set of techniques that you use that help you think more broadly and think more creatively. So it can include things like um, card sorting techniques, or sometimes you see people with lots of post-it notes grouping them in certain ways. That is uh, some of the techniques that you can use, brainstorming and brainwriting and mind mapping. These techniques that are very, in some cases, visual, very interactive, that help you make connections and think of ideas that you wouldn't have thought of before. That's in a nutshell what the field does. So you can come up with amazing products like the Instant Pot that came out of nowhere because people realized, wow, these women, moms, who are the primary user, they're very busy. They want to make delicious food. They want to feel confident that they're going to be able to do it, but they need it to happen quickly. And so products like that were created with the design thinking approach, but I use that approach to help people with their lives. So help people figure out what their next steps are and what they want their day to look like uh, based on who they are as a person uniquely. Can you speak a little more on how you involve psychology in it? Like where does that part come into the design thinking? Yeah, that's a great question. So like I mentioned, the Stanford group, they're incredible, but they don't include as much of that in it. And I feel like in my experience working with people, a lot of people at some level know what they need to do. At some level, there's someone listening to this who knows they need to quit their job. They hate it. They know that's not the place that they need to be, but they stay. And why do they stay? Because they're afraid. They feel like maybe they don't have any other options. They feel like they've spent time there. And now if I quit, I'm going to have wasted all that time. They feel like there's judgment from other people that's sort of keeping them there. This is the job that I should have. I should be happy. People work their whole careers to get to the stage that I'm at. I should be happy. All of those barriers. Oh, people like me don't quit stable jobs like this. People like me aren't entrepreneurs. People like me don't do things like this. Their brain gets in the way. They know what they're supposed to do. They know what they need to do to make themselves happier and feel more fulfilled. But something psychologically gets in the way. Lots of times it's fear. Lots of times it's other people's judgment, the word should or shouldn't. Those things get in the way. And I think you're uh, missing an opportunity to help people make progress by not including some aspects of psychological work where you work on people's barriers and their fear and their uh, something that's out there a lot in, in sort of lay literature right now is like limiting beliefs, their beliefs about who they are and what they're capable of. If you don't work on those things, you they can know all day long what the right move that they should make is, but they're not going to do it. And so that's why I, I like to incorporate that psychology aspect into it. For sure. And I definitely tell myself that because I'm in a similar position. Like I'd love to quit my job, but I feel like I should be there. And it also, my parents are like really involved in that too. Mm -hmm. like they're like, oh, my dad's like, oh no, like keep your job. It's good. Like it pays good. It has good benefits. But I'm like, but I'm unhappy. So I think that's really interesting 
because I feel like a lot of people don't believe that they have the power to make that change, but you're like, no, you do. You can do it. So that's awesome to hear, I think. Well, and on that note, there's something that I talk about a lot, and that's this notion of radical responsibility. Sometimes it makes people mad. Like it really pisses people off when I say this once in a while, not always. But this notion is that you are 100% responsible for 100% of the situations you're in. And I'll clarify, that doesn't mean you're to blame or at fault. So if you look backward, that doesn't mean you are the one who put yourself in the situation that you're in. If you got diagnosed with cancer, you probably didn't cause that. If your spouse cheated on you and they left you for someone else, you didn't cause that. If your job walks in, your boss walks in and they lay you off, you did not cause that. You're probably not to blame. However, from this point forward, you are 100% responsible for what you do from this point forward, for the situation you're in now and where you're going to go. And so if you're in this job that you don't love, like, okay, cool, a set of circumstances got you here. That's fine. Maybe you can't quit immediately. Maybe you have like bills or something you need to pay. That's fine. But you are responsible for what you do from here. So if you hate that job, you know what there are a lot out there? There's a lot of jobs out there. There are. You can start looking for a new one that's better aligned to you. And you're responsible for figuring out who you are and what, if it's not this job, what other job is going to do it? What does that job have to have? So you're responsible for figuring that out. And it pisses people off because it's, it's tough to take responsibility for that. That's like a heavy order. However, for me, that should be freeing because who else are you going to give that control to? Don't ever give that control to anybody else. That spouse that cheated on you, that left you, they're not coming back to make you happy. Don't be unhappy for the rest of your life because you gave control to that person and that's what you're waiting for. You take control. You go do that. Like You're responsible for what you do from here. That's kind of a soapbox of mine. I'll be quiet now because I feel like I just like banged on the table and talked a lot about that. Well, I think it's a good point because I was talking with someone and I was like, oh, I hate my job. But then they're like, well, what do you want to do instead? I'm like, uh, 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 I, I don't know. I just want to get out of here. So I think I like that idea of like taking responsibility and maybe not complaining about something that you're not actively working to change. I think that maybe goes hand, along, hand in hand with what you just said. So yes, definitely yeah. felt that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And how can millennials use this type of thinking to their advantage when they're feeling stuck? So we talked about work and maybe if you're in a relationship with a cheating spouse, uh, what are some other examples do you think would work for our advantage? You know, lots of times people, the word stuck, it's a non-descriptive one, but it's a really great word, I think, to describe the feeling that a lot of people have. So stuck feels nondescriptive or nonspecific in that you're not saying, uh, when people say they feel stuck in their life, there's usually, um, they have a difficult time pointing at one thing that's wrong. Oh, it's because, you know, there's this one person that's really bothering me. You wouldn't use the word stuck. You'd say, wow, I have this annoying friend. The word stuck is nonspecific because I feel like People have a hard time in some cases putting their finger on why things don't feel right. Like where, I use the word friction a lot. Where is that friction coming from? Here I am in my job, steady paycheck, good paycheck. It feels like there's friction. My relationships with 
you know, close friends of mine, it feels like there's friction there for some reason or any other situation you might find yourself in. So for me, what I tell people to do, like the very first step, I actually run a six-week program to help people uh, realign their lives and use this life design process that I've developed with you know, a bunch of psychology woven in. We literally spend 50% of the course diving deep into who they are. Who are you as a person? And it's one of those things that people will sort of nod their head, roll their eyes. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't need to do that. Blah, blah, blah. If you do it and you do a particular, you do it in a particular way that allows you to find what is the common two to three threads that run underneath your values, your strengths, your weaknesses, and what you are like as your best version of you. Like when you are at your best, what does she look like or he, depending on who's listening to this? When you look at those pieces and you start to draw connections among all of them, things get so much more clear. So I'll give you an example. I had a woman who I worked with who um, she had kind of the dream job. She had a corporate job who trusted her enough to let her work from home all the time. That's huge. That's like what most people want. They want to get out of the office, get out of their cubicle, and they want to work from home and they want the trust to be able to do that. She had it and she was miserable. She was completely lonely, so miserable. And she thought that her situation, you know, that she was being ungrateful for her situation or that like, why am I so upset about this thing that people struggle to get? Like, how, like, how is it that this is not making me happy? Well, when we dug into it, her top value, her top personal value for her as a human being was connection. And one of her strengths is communication. So isn't that funny that she needs connection to other people and she needs to talk to them and she doesn't see any other people and she doesn't talk to them face-to-face in her job. So it's not that she's ungrateful for the flexibility of it. It's just that that gave her, it snapped a really clear line and told her what direction to go in. You need to actively work to get more face-to-face interaction with other people because that's what feeds your soul. That's what fills you up. You're not like, you're not ungrateful for having this opportunity to work at home. I bet you love the fact that you can like make yourself a leisurely lunch and just chill out a little bit, you know, on your couch instead of in a cubicle. But knowing yourself, and that's the bottom line, we spent three out of six weeks getting to know ourselves in that program. That's where I would start. What are your values? As a person, what do you value above everything else. That's the foundation of who you are and what are your strengths and weaknesses? And then what do you look like at your best? If you know that, those four things about yourself, you can start designing your way out of any stuck situation because you finally understand what is it that's actually going to make you happy and make you feel fulfilled. And you can start moving in that direction, making small changes every day to move in that direction. So get to know yourself. That's the biggest thing I would say. Yeah, that's such good advice. And I feel like I know for a while after I graduated college, a big theme in my life was who am I and what am I supposed to be doing in life? So would you say it's, it's, you know, it's better now than never to go through these steps and figure out who you are and figure out what you want in life? Oh, 100%. If you're 60 years old and you happen to have found this podcast and you like find this stuff interesting, I would say the same thing to a 60-year-old person as I would to somebody who's 25. Start today. 
do it now. Figure out who you are and reevaluate that. Every you know, handful of years, you might be a slightly different person with slightly different values after you've had kids or after a relationship has ended or started or you know, after you started a business and found out that you were wildly successful and you're more powerful than you thought you were. You may value slightly different things at different seasons of your life, but start now. If you're feeling stuck for one reason or another, that's the exact place to start and the sooner the better. That's funny because I was talking to someone. Um, I I ended up breaking up with a boyfriend like about a year ago now. We had been dating for a long time and I was trying to get back in the dating world. And I was like, well, it's just not like how it was back then. And then they're like, yeah, because you're not the same. And I was like, oh my God, yes. Like that makes so much sense to me. It really like reframed my viewpoint on online dating which, you know, no one likes to do, but we do it anyways. Hey, so. it's, how I, it's how I met my husband. We joke, yeah. that, we joke that we met the old-fashioned way. And that's actually sort of true because at the time, Match.com didn't have an app. Mm. We, like, we like had to log into a browser. I mean, hilarious. we're talking like old people online. We'd log <laughs> into a browser and send each other like messages that you'd have to type out. Yeah. It was ridiculous. Like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. There was no video. There were like very few photos. I mean, God knows who he could have been. I mean, I was a brave soul at the time. But yeah, I met my husband and we've been like married for a better wife would know exactly how many years at this point. I don't know, like five. Yeah. Five years. We have two yeah. kids. I know I how can. many kids I have. <laughs> that's, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, online dating is awesome. <laughs> yeah. Side note. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually, not being paid by Match.com. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Next question I wanted to ask is you mentioned your six-week program. So that you have that. And then do you have any other resources that you recommend for someone just getting started? Do you want to talk a little bit more about your program as well? Yeah, for sure. So my program is called Life Design Lab. And it is, like I mentioned, six weeks. Uh, we all hang out online once a week for six weeks in what I like to call a design sprint. I also have people sign up for text messages. So basically, I'm like on your phone and following you around your life for six weeks. And we work through the design process. We get to know you really well. Uh, there's a lot of very carefully crafted design thinking exercises that help you do that. So like when I say this person's number one value was connection. She didn't pull that out of thin air. Like there was an exercise that helped her uncover that. And it's actually kind of surprising to people, you know, when they go through these exercises, but we go through a number of design thinking exercises. We uncover so much about you. We work through the process of making connections and identifying underlying themes. And then we put it to work. We start working through the process of like, okay, in this area of your life, you want to make a change. How would you either leverage a strength, mitigate a weakness, or align to one of your values? What has to happen in that area of your life for you to be at your best? What does it have to look like? Okay, cool. Now, what are you willing to do? There's a million different ways you can get there. I want you to write them all down. How might you get there? But once you have them all written down, what are you willing to do? So we go through that process. There's a lot of, like I mentioned, psychology woven in there around how to overcome fear, the importance of living in alignment with who you are and how cognitive dissonance, if you've ever taken Psych 101, I guarantee you've you know, learned about that. Cognitive dissonance plays in, how identity plays in, how beliefs about ourselves, all of that plays in. It's an awesome program. And I 
I feel like such a, a dork for saying that because it's like my own program. Of course, I think it's awesome. But for real, when I hear from people what is happening to them as a result of being in this, it's the most rewarding thing ever. So, I mean, obviously my program is <laughs> a resource, but other things that I would say to people, if you are stuck in a job, if you're not loving a job, there's a book that I recommend to almost everyone. It's called What Color Is Your Parachute? They come out with a new one every single year. So just buy the most recent year and actually do every exercise in the book. It is eye-opening. It's that book's fault that I didn't get a job again when I was laid off. Because what I found is that I will never be happy in a job where a company arbitrarily makes me go to a place for a set number of hours and I have to do it every day despite whether I actually need to be there or not. I hated that. And I'm like, well, awesome. That's like all the jobs. <laughs> that really sucks. That's all the jobs. And so I became an entrepreneur because of that. So that uh, book is a really big one. You can really wade around the personal development literature. People can kind of roll their eyes at that all they want to, but there's some good stuff in there. There is an amazing book. Uh, I am blanking on the author. It's a book called The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. It's incredible. And as a psychology person, like PhD level psychology person, working alongside like licensed clinical psychologists, there's actual evidence basis for what he says in that book. He just like swears a lot and puts more colorful language on it, but there's like evidence behind the stuff that he's saying. So if you want a book that's sort of general, help me figure out who I am and, and what direction I should be going, Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck is a really great book in spite of kind of a funny title that makes it sound like um, I'm not taking this seriously, but I'm, I'm dead serious. It's a really great book. I'm pretty sure I've seen that at Target. So it's definitely reaching the masses. Or it's, it's orange. It's bright yeah. orange. <laughs> yeah. It stands out. <laughs> yeah. 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 When is the next, does your program, is it self-guided or does it, does it, is it run live? It is run live online. So we're in design sprints on an online platform. Um, so we actually engage with me live online, you know, for six weeks. Right now, we're midway through the program itself, and so I'm not actually taking people into the program right now. If you go to aprilcypher.com, though, you can check that on the show notes, too, if you want, but aprilcypher.com, you can actually sign up for the wait list to be on the program. I'm not sure when I'm going to run it again. I'm not cool enough to have everything down on a good cadence yet, but it will be run again in the future at some point. I'm thinking it's probably going to go twice a year, so probably summer or like midsummer to end of the summer, I'll likely run it again uh, live. So just know if you hop on that wait list and that is something you're interested in, you, um, you'll be the first to know that it's coming out and be the first people to be able to get in and get some spots. Okay. So what happens when you do all this work and you're like, yes, I know who I am. I know what I'm supposed to do. But then you maybe start this new job or start this new project and you're actually like, oh no, this is actually not what I want to do. Like yeah. what happens when the first design iteration of your life like doesn't work? What do you do? I, I think that's inevitable though. You, you I think back to, oh, I'm in high school or actually think even further back. I have a three-year-old and you ask her what she wants to be when she grows up and she changes her mind by day. I mean, one day she wants to be Elsa from Frozen and the next day she wants to be a doctor. It's all over the place. 
what you said at that time is going to be different than what drives you, you know, when you're in high school, which is going to be different than what drives you in college, which is going to be different than what drives you early in your career, or even three years after you've gotten a job. That's just the way it goes. That's why in the design process, there's this feedback loop at the end where we encourage people to put something in place and then test it. Did it work? Do you feel better? Is it working for you? Which parts are working? Which parts aren't working? Thinking about that, that feedback loop and that test and learn loop at the end of it, that's going to be so important. And what's hard about it, here's where the psychology comes in. If you've ever had a friend, think about everybody has a friend who's like flighty. Oh, I thought you were doing yoga, but now you're taking a, a photography class. Okay, cool. You were into photography and now, oh, great. You're doing like meditation and, and Zen Buddhism stuff. Like, isn't that fun? Oh, you were doing that, but now you're like into something else. We, we sort of roll our eyes at those people. And because of that, it gets ingrained in us that like, holy cow, once I've made a decision and once I've put something out there, I'm like obligated to keep going. And the thing that I tell people is, no, you are not. You absolutely are not. Because those people who are going to judge you, let's go back to radical responsibility that I talked about before. Those people who are going to judge you, they have their own damn life life to be responsible for. They don't need to be responsible for yours. You're responsible for that. You are 100% responsible for 100% of the situations you find yourself in. They are not. They don't get to be in the game with you. There's only one player. Yes, you have friends, spouses, kids, family members, coworkers, whatever. They have their own life. This is a one player game. When it comes to what are you doing that's gonna make you happy that's not hurting anybody else, nobody else gets to decide that for you. You get to pick that. Ignore the fact that other people may roll their eyes and say, oh gosh, she's making a different decision or she totally changed her mind. I don't care. That's fine. If it's going to make you happy, go do it. There's been, and this is another soapbox of mine, so I'll try to be brief, but there's been research on people at the end of their life. These are people who are terminally ill or very elderly. Uh, People have talked to them about what they regret at the end of their life. And let's just be clear. All of us are going to get there someday. We all have one life. We're all going to get there someday. They all regret some very common things. They regret not being completely themselves, meaning they were being the person that they thought other people wanted them to be. They regret not being themselves and they regret not letting themselves be happy. Now let that sink in. They are at the point where it's too late. They can't do anything to fix it. And they regret not letting themselves be happy and regret not being themselves. That is heartbreaking. Don't be that person. You're amazing the way you are. You are amazing just as yourself. You are amazing for the things that you love to do, for the strengths that you have, for the values that you have. You get to live those things and everyone else can go live their own stuff. So for you, if you find out that something is not working for you, make a change again. You owe it to yourself. You're going to get one shot at life. Like you owe it to yourself to go do that and continually adjust, like nudge the Titanic in the direction that you want it to go until it's finally pointing in the direction that you want it and you feel like, yeah, this is good. I'm doing well here. That's great. But don't be afraid to make a change again. That's just what it's about. 
For sure. Yeah, I love that. I was like, yes, but my mic is on mute. So. <laughs> but that segues really nicely into the next question, actually. And I, th- I guess it's a two-part question. So how did you design your life for success and happiness? Uh, like, did it take a couple of iterations or were you like, oh, no, like, I know what I want and I'm going to go after and get it? I have never had a straight path, not once. Like I said, if you would have told me seven years ago, you're going to be an entrepreneur. I just crossed a really interesting entrepreneurial milestone, by the way. The other day, I got the renewal for my credit card. Like my first credit card that I got when I became an entrepreneur, it expired. That means I've been in this long enough to get a new credit card. That's crazy. If you would have told me I would be in that situation seven years ago, I would have laughed in your face. There's no way. I could have never envisioned that I would be where I am now then. And that's been the case along the way. So what I do is I keep going back to radical responsibility, but I'm going to do that again. Radical responsibility means standing in the place that you are, the present moment. Screw yesterday, screw tomorrow. Like you're looking right where you're at right now. Where am I now? Who am I now? And what direction do I need to go in to continuously nudge to be happier? the next day, more fulfilled, thrive a little bit more. What direction do I need to go in? And when you do that, it doesn't matter if big ripples come up or big shifts in your life come up or changes happen because you always come back to the same place. All right, where am I now? So for me, getting laid off, like I left a very stable job. Um, I actually left behind a massive bonus uh, because I was really interested to try this slightly risky thing. When I was laid off from the startup company that I worked for, it was really one of those moments where I just, let me just take stock of where I'm at right now. Hold on. Initially, don't panic right away. Chill out. You're okay right now. Maybe in like two weeks, you won't be okay. But like right now, you're fine. So keep your head on you and think about the direction that you want to go. So literally my entire life since then, it's been me looking around and trying to figure out who am I now and what direction do I want to go in next to make that person happier? Right. And I think that's literally the last question I have on my list is what's an action step we can take right now to make ourselves happier? Because I feel like I guess for me, like, that's a really big goal of mine. Like, I want to live a happy life, but I think I need to do a little bit more digging into what that actually means for me. So I'm on this path and someone, you know, my age is on this path. Like, what's one thing that we can do? Like, if we're feeling down about our life, like, what's that one mindset change we can make to just make Mm -hmm. ourselves just a little bit happier? I'm going to go full tilt psychology on this because that's where, yeah, that's where I feel like the power of that field lies. When I talk to people about how your mind works, so my background is in social cognitive psychology. So the cognitive, social means like people and social situations. Cognitive means how we encode and store and use information. That aspect of psychology looks at the brain and says, okay, this is a very powerful organ Obviously, it keeps you alive. It makes your heart beat. It does all these crazy things, right? It's a very powerful organ in our body. However, from an information encoding standpoint, it's very simple. 
meaning your brain, all it does is it looks for repetition and pattern. And those two things, it says, oh, huh, this bit of information has been repeated over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Huh, that must be important. I should probably keep that top of mind. I'm going to store that in the top filing cabinet drawer instead of putting it in the like back room in a box somewhere that I can't find. So your brain isn't that sophisticated from the aspect of how it decides what information to encode. And because of that, it is easy to trick. And this is how I'll tell you something super actionable, super tangible. You're going to be like, oh, April, that doesn't actually sound that big of a deal. I can't believe that would actually be impactful. It's because your brain's not that sophisticated. It just isn't. This will trick your brain. For the next 30 days, I want you to take your phone. Everybody has one. You're carrying it around everywhere. I want you to take your phone and I want you to find the most beautiful thing you can that day and I want you to take a picture of it. That's it. Do it for 30 days. What will happen is it's going to feel dumb the first week. You're like, this is stupid. Oh, look, a flower. And you're going to take a picture. Oh, look, a little kid doing something cute. Whatever. Take a picture. Eventually, though, your brain's going to be like, oh, crap. She, I just got up. She wants me to, she's going to want me to find a beautiful thing today. I'm on it. I got it. I get it. This is the new thing we do. I'm going to start searching for something beautiful because I know I'm going to have to take a picture of that. Do you know how much happier your day is if you are intentionally and automatically looking for beauty versus passively floating through your day? Do you know how meaningfully different, markedly different your day feels when your brain is on an active search for beauty versus it's just sort of floating through your day and not working to your advantage. So in terms of a tangible thing, like you can do it right now, you can write to me in 30 days and tell me how awesome you feel because you will, if you actually do this, I would like put money on it, take a picture of something beautiful with your phone and put your brain to work for you because it's either going to be your best asset or your worst liability and you get to pick that. So you get to hack the fact that your brain is just not that sophisticated. It's going to believe what you repeatedly tell it. So if you tell it, today's amazing. Look for something beautiful. It's going to do that. Yeah, I was like, um, all right. <laughs> right? Like, that's yeah. dumb, right? I promise you, 15 days in, message me on Instagram. Like, tell me how your brain works today versus how it worked on day one. 15 days in, it'll start to happen. And so by doing that, like, what what do we get out of that besides changing our you know, the way our brain thinks or is that just, is it really just that simple? It really is that simple. The way that I like to tell people is that people's perception is not the same as reality. You may look at your significant other and think they're the hottest person you've ever seen. That's your perception. Reality, if you put that person in front of like a thousand people on the internet and had them rate them, on how attractive they are, I don't know. Maybe they'd like rate them average. I don't, I don't know who people are dating. The point I'm making is your perception is not the same as objective reality. However, your perception is the same as your reality. Your reality is not the same as everyone else's. So if you have your brain chasing something 
beautiful, chasing something positive, chasing something meaningful. Think of the biggest goal you can possibly think of. If you can get your brain chasing that information on a daily basis, your reality will change because your perception has changed. You forced it to change. In the beginning, it is not going to feel natural. It's going to feel awkward as heck, but just keep doing it. Two weeks in, your brain's going to start to catch on. Like, oh, hang on. This is the new thing we're doing. I get it. Okay, cool. It's the same situation. I'll tell you how this works just on its own. If you've ever moved apartments, say, you decided to move and you live in a different place and you leave work and you accidentally find yourself driving to your old apartment, it's because your brain's following a familiar pattern because you drove that pattern over and over and over and your brain's like, okay, cool. This is what we do. I get it. You're doing that same thing. You're just training it to have a better outlook day to day. You're training it to see the world in a better, more beautiful light day to day. It'll work. Your brain's not that sophisticated. It's not that smart. It'll catch on to the fact that, all right, she's repeatedly asking me to do this thing. Cool. This is just what we do now. And it'll start working in your favor. It'll happen. And can that be applied to other patterns as well? I'm trying to think of an example, but maybe, I guess, like, how could you turn a pattern of negativity around that you're like, oh, my job sucks? Like, in that situation, like, would you recommend doing the same type of thing? 100%. I will not be the person who tells you if your job sucks and it is soul crushing, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to be the exactly last person who's going to tell you to stay in that job. However, if you need to get yourself through and you need to get yourself to the point where you can enjoy your day-to-day life while you're figuring out what your next steps are? Absolutely. So what is it about that job that makes you grateful? I'll give you an example. My husband's job, he's an ER physician, crazy hours. You would not believe insane hours. What that means is that I have our kids, two kids, by myself a lot. That used to get me down a lot until I started thinking about it and reframed it. I was like, you know what? No. His job is awesome because it allows him to have flexibility that he can be home during the day and I can see him when I'm working from home. And that's awesome. His job allows me the flexibility to take a few risks in my business. And granted, so far they've all panned out and it's been great, but that might not have been the case. And I felt more secure taking some of those risks because of his job. And it really does train your brain to see things in a different light. More importantly than that, your identity of who you are. This is a big one. Your identity of who you are is based on a set of beliefs. People like you what? They what? Do they make a lot of money? Do they make money easily? Do people like you take risks? Do people like you speak out? Do people like you self-promote and talk about how awesome they are and how amazing of a job they did in that last project? Do they do that, people like you? The way you answer those questions is based on a set of beliefs that your brain has. And the crazy thing about that is that your brain suffers from something called the confirmation bias. It will automatically search for and put weight on and believe information that already conforms to a belief that you already have. You can see it already on social media all over the place. Look at your, everybody has that crazy family member who has totally opposite political beliefs as you, or they believe something totally opposite about abortion or gun control or, oh gosh, vaccinations or what are some other hot button topics? You get it, right? 
they can find quote-unquote evidence to support their belief, and they believe that evidence. That's because of the confirmation bias. If you have a belief that's already there, you'll believe evidence that supports it. So for you, your beliefs about yourself, your view of yourself, and your view of what you are capable of is completely biased by what you already believe your limitations are. And so if you can trick your brain by saying over and over and over, no way, man, I'm capable of so much more. I can handle this and so much more. If you can convince your brain of that, it'll, again, not that sophisticated, it'll start looking for information that conforms to that belief. And it'll eventually acquiesce and start working in your favor. So you want to be limitless. You want to be able to chase after things that are so much bigger than what you thought they were. Start telling yourself that it's possible. It sounds so simplistic, like it, shouldn't, it should be harder than this. It's really not. Your brain's not that sophisticated. Just keep telling it the same thing over and over. It's going to believe you. Every single person out there should have the audacity to believe that their life can be something as big as they want it to be. And getting to know yourself, harnessing the power of your mind, being able to dream up a very crystal clear vision of what that future or that other life could look like, it's going to be a major asset for you. And just have the audacity to believe that that's possible. Uh, And if you need help in that avenue, reach out to me because I have audacity and I have uh, energy to spare. So I'm happy to lend you some. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of the Shit You Need to Know podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. April has some pretty smart lessons and I'm definitely going to start doing that 30-day challenge. I remember recording this a while ago. I think it was in February and it's just coming out now. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I fucking never did it. So no time like the present to start. Um, I will share my results on Instagram. You can follow me at Real Martha Riley. And again, one more time for the deep dish dating call. If you are stuck or if someone you know is just stuck on the apps, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. I'm here to help. I am asking the dating questions so you'll have the answers. I can't wait to talk with you about dating strategy. Find me on Instagram. Send me an email. Let's chat. Uh, See you next week. We are now doing weekly episodes, so stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the Shit You Need to Know podcast. I've set up a phone number in case you have a question you need answering or just want to talk. Feel free to give me a ring at 301-941-7448. That's 301-941-SHIT. Also, don't give me a ring. No one does that. You can text the number too. I don't know why I said ring. If you enjoyed this episode of the Shit You Need to Know podcast, feel free to subscribe on iTunes and rate it five stars.